Kessler here from Grunthal. Paul Kingsley with the 30-second board to five. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallup. Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fox Racing Canada, Phoenix Handlebars, Guts Racing, 204 Skate Shop, and Throttle Syndicate make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Fox Racing Canada. They just released three brand new boots last week. You guys need to go check them out. The comp, the motion, the instinct. You guys know you probably have instincts on your feet every time you go hit, hit the track. They that, that boot is now improved, and you need to go to the website, order yourself some up, or... You can go to your local dealer, and they've probably got them on the showroom floor and knowledgeable sales staff to help you out with that. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, a gentleman who's been on the podcast a number of times before. It's been too long since we dialed him up, and I thought it was uh, about time that we uh, grabbed him back on here for basically a, a, a career synopsis going all the way back to where this whole story begins because uh, he's about to basically have a career renaissance. Monster Star Racing Yamaha's Jordan Smith. Jordan, how's it going? Ah, it's going pretty good, man. How, how about yourself? Not too bad. Just trying to hype up my buddy from uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I need the hype. Yes. Jordan, after two seasons, uh, you had a number of seasons filled with injuries and, let's be honest, not fulfilling either what you you were hoping for or a lot of fans know that you're capable of, you find yourself back on factory equipment with the Monster Star Racing Yamaha team. You are teammates with uh, the back-to-back Supercross and Motocross champion from 2022 here. Uh, How did that come to be, my friend? Yeah, um, well, it was... uh... You know, whenever I lost my my factory ride uh, at the end of 21, I uh, wasn't really sure. You know, I was trying to talk to some teams, and it's kind of one of those years where everything was kind of full, and, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of new um, opportunities, and not very many people really wanted to take a chance because I'd been hurt so much. So, um, you know, I had to kind of go a different route, and – talked to Yarif with uh, Firepower, and um, yeah, we built a pretty good program there, and it uh, was good enough for me to do good enough in Supercross to catch the eye of, of Star Racing, and um, with them just being right down the road now from, from where I live, it's a very easy fit and uh, easy transition, and transition right over into that. Been riding the bike now for about three months on outdoors, been training with all the guys, and uh, yeah, it's going going good so far. It's uh, nice to be back on a factory team. 
Right on, man. Well, we're going to circle back to that uh, to close out the conversation as we look forward to the 2023 season. I can't believe we're on 23 already. Uh, I started this <laughs> podcast in 2014. That means we're damn near a decade into uh, asking you guys about your suspension. But let's spin the clocks back. Let's go back in the time machine and go back to where this story started. Where, when does Jordan Smith first get introduced to motocross, motorcycles in general? Uh, what was that first bike, and uh, what are your earliest memories uh, about becoming the athlete you've become to be? Yeah, uh, well, uh, growing up, my like as a young kid, my dad like he never rode or didn't really know anything about dirt bikes or dirt bike racing or anything. Uh, and then my mom's side of the family, my grandparents they lived, um, in the country in North Carolina, had a lot of land. And, uh, my, my mom rode a dirt bike a little bit as a kid from what I've heard. And, uh, my uncles rode some dirt bikes and then, uh, my uncle, my one uncle, he had started, uh, racing four wheelers in the woods, like at uh, hair scramble races, a series called the mid East hair scrambles, um, mainly around North and South Carolina. And whenever I was about three or four years old, I, uh, I would go to the races to watch him race. And I would just sit there, you know, and just watch the dirt bikes and the four wheelers and everything go all day. Like, I guess I was just super enthused with it. Um, just really paying attention. So, um, it was actually my mom's idea. Uh, my grandparents still had, uh, my uncle Chad's 1979 JR 50 um in the in the basement but he didn't run anymore so uh my mom had the idea I'd learned how to buy how to ride a bike I guess I'd been asked him to ride a dirt bike and they told me I needed to learn how to ride a bike first so I picked up on that pretty quick and then uh my mom brought the dirt bike home and asked my dad to to get it running for me he's like are you sure and she's like yeah my, my brothers rode whenever they were little you know so uh, my dad's a golf course superintendent. So he took it to the golf course, to the mechanic shop, and, uh, they worked on it for a few days, got it running. And, uh, yeah, just started out riding, um, in my grandpa's field. He has a big grass field beside his house. And, uh, about every time I would go up there, you know, the grass would grow and he would go out with his bush hog behind the tractor and cut me in a turn track in the, in the tall grass. And then, by the time I came back a week or two later, the grass had grown up again and he would cut me a new track. So I had a new track every time I would go up there. So, uh, yeah, just started riding like that in the field. And then, uh, I did my first, my first race was a, was a hair scramble, a woods race. I actually did that for, I think about a year maybe, uh, before I ever did a motocross race. We didn't even really know what motocross was. And, um, I guess at some point, asked my dad if um if I could go race motocross and he's like what's that and I was like with the jumps and stuff and and uh he was like no no we don't need to do that and I guess I was pretty persistent and uh talked him into it and yeah it just kind of snowballed from there I guess well there you go like they never talk about on the broadcast about Jordan Smith being like, like a, an off-road warrior they always talk about Plessinger but who'd have thought that uh jordan smith's roots are in the woods as well it's amazing to say that yeah. uh motocross was essentially 
your idea. Like that that's almost the yeah. exact same story as like a couple of weeks ago or maybe it was a couple of months ago I asked my dad I'm like how did I get into hockey cuz he does not play hockey. He's like that was your idea. I'm like my idea. Yeah. <clears throat> like how did a 4-year-old come up with the idea to play hockey? But either way I guess that's just the way of the way of the land up here in Canada. Um first races for like racing obviously probably 50 class on a either p-dub or uh, one of those early uh 05 ktms those things would have been a little rocket ship with you on it um yeah earliest year earliest memories racing in uh, north carolina do you remember some of the kids that you uh you, you raced against as well as how many little dirt bike tracks did you make with the toy dirt bikes and with like either carmichael or pastrana those things um that must have been a like that was a huge part of growing up with riding dirt bikes yeah yeah for sure i uh so like i said i raced in the woods for about a year i think um on a on a xr50 a honda xr50 um and then i started racing motocross but the motocross races were on either saturday during the day or saturday night uh we had a local series called jmx uh that we raced on saturdays and there were two tracks that were night tracks one track that was a daytime track so we would do that on Saturdays and then Sunday mornings at like, I think they were at eight, maybe nine, but I'm pretty sure it was eight o'clock were the 50 races for the hair scrambles. So wherever the race was on Saturday, we would race sometimes until like one, like, you know, midnight, one in the morning, those night races sometimes would go for a long time. And then we would pack up and drive to the hair scramble and either sometimes sleep in the truck, sleep in a tent, wherever we could sleep. And then I would wake up at eight and race the hair scramble the next morning. And we did that for a while, probably actually until I think I, until I got onto a 65. So I think until I was about seven or eight years old, um, probably eight years old. And, uh, yeah, we did that for, for a while. And then, uh, once I got onto the 65s, I, uh, I had to move up to the, um, like the mini race. And so the 50 races were like, the tracks were less than a mile for the most part. You had, you know, parents and people around the entire track kind of cheering you on. You see people the whole time. And whenever I moved up to the 65, I had to, you know, the tracks went from being less than a mile long to now they were four or five miles long. So you would go, you know, sometimes 10 minutes without seeing anyone and I just wasn't really a fan of it um and then that's whenever I had started really taking motocross serious and that year I think is whenever I went to Loretta's for the first time um and then but I'll come back to you know who I race as a kid and stuff but uh I actually um I actually got back into doing hair scramble stuff uh whenever I was probably 13 or 14 I did a lot of the local hair scrambles series. I guess it was called the Mid-East Hair Scrambles uh, on 85s and Super Minis. And I actually did a couple of GNCCs. Actually, uh, the one I did two of them the one year. The first one was at Big Buck. And I raced Aaron. And the guy that he was battling with for the championship that year was Grant Baylor. And um, I actually was leading by like a minute after a few laps and I got a flat tire. I didn't have like the moose tubes, like the bibs, like they run. And I got a flat tire. So I ended up not, like I rode it until I, it wouldn't go anymore. My tire came off the rim, but uh, yeah, I actually, I got back into it for about a year or two, like pretty heavy until 
um, like I was trying to do all of them that I could, that I, I wasn't racing a motocross race. And, uh, then, you know, just, I got onto a team, uh, I started racing for Farron, uh, Suzuki and, you know, like the motocross thing just got more and more serious and, uh, eventually just was training all the time and stopped, stopped going home for the hair scramble races. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was pretty heavy woods guy for a little bit. Not, not quite as much as Aaron was, but, uh, I was racing a lot of those, uh, the, the local ones and stuff. So it's pretty fun times. I I still enjoy doing them. I, I wish that I got to do more of them. Certainly. And, and you, you raced, uh, KTMs as well as Hondas in your earliest part of your career. Uh, I remember you mostly on Suzuki's. How did that uh, level of support yeah. sort of work for you growing up through those ranks? Yeah, uh, so like I said, I started on a on that um, JR50 uh, 1979 model. It was my uncle's old bike, and I did my very first race on that. And I fell on the last lap, and the bike wouldn't start back. My uncle and my dad kicked and kicked and kicked, wouldn't start back. So they ended up pushing me across the finish line. I finished the race. Uh, I don't remember wh- what place I got or how many people were there. I think I finished sixth or seventh, but don't know. I, I mean, it was probably only out of seven, let's be honest. But, uh, so then that was the only race I did on that bike. So then I moved, uh, that Christmas, I got a XR 50 and I think I only had one of them, but that's what I raced for a long time. I actually, uh, there was, we would race like against the P dubs in the, um, in the series that, that we did the JMX series. And me and another kid, his name was Dylan Pope. Uh, we always battled. We were both on the Hondas on the XR fifties. And then the PWs started complaining about us having gears. So they made us start racing in one gear. So like we had to pick either second or third gear and take the gear shifter off and do the race like that. So we couldn't shift. And so depending on what track we were at, we would, you know, if it was a tighter track, we may stay in second. If it was a longer, more wide open track, we might keep it in third. But like if you fell and the bike turned off or whatever, like you had to start it in gear. So it was hard to, it would start, but it was hard to start. Um, and then, so I was riding that for a while. And then, uh, and then I, I got a KTM uh, 50, the senior, I think they had a senior and a junior back then. And it was the senior. So for a while, I rode the, the Honda in the one class and then the KTM in the other. Uh, I would switch back and forth. Uh, and then, and then I, yeah, I don't know how old I was whenever I just, just went to just the KTM. But uh, started, you know, someone had told my dad about Loretta's. And, like, I was winning a lot of the local series. And uh, really, it was mainly, from what I remember, me and the Dylan Pope kid. And, um we pretty much were battling all the time and, and, uh, someone else's dad was like, Hey, you know, you guys should try for Loretta's. And my dad's like, what, what's Loretta's? And they're like, Oh, it's this big race. You have to do an area and then a regional. And then if you make it through those, then you get to go to the national. And it's like, okay. Cause there was a, there was an area at, at one of the tracks that we raced on our, um, in our little series there, it's called Parker Valley. It's closed down now. But, uh, so we went to the area and I think I was only six racing in the seven, to eight class. Cause I didn't have the junior 50. So I had to race up a class 
and uh, I didn't make it my first year. I fell. I think I was in qualifying position maybe in the second moto, but I ended up falling. I burned my arm up pretty good. I still have the scar to this day on my arm <laughs> of that of that fall. And uh, so then, yeah, we just started like the next year we took the areas and stuff a little more seriously. And I think I made it to, I know I made it to the regionals, but I don't think I made it to Loretta's that next year. I think it was the following. I think I tried. Oh, really, five was your first yeah, year at Loretta's. Yeah. Oh, five was my first year. So I'm thinking that that first one where I fell at Parker Valley was in Oh three, I'm thinking. And then I tried again in Oh four, I made it to the regionals, but, um, I think if I recall correctly, we had a we had some bike issues or something. I think I I think my dad bought me a brand new KTM fifty and he like was like, Well, there's there's uh no better bike than a brand new one. So we showed up to the regional on a brand new, like never rode, like he didn't even touch it. Like just made sure there was oil in it. And I think that the air filter wasn't oiled right, so it got got dust in it and my bike wouldn't run right. So I didn't make it, so I made it in oh five. So um yeah and then uh I you know I didn't really I got 22nd my first year I'm pretty sure at Loretta's and then uh, the second year I raced the 65 79 class and took me three regionals to get there and after the third one I made it I should have been in the first two but stuff happened and then I got to Loretta's and I ended up getting fifth, which was like unbelievable. Like we didn't think there was any way I was getting the top five, you know, like we were just happy to be there and somehow pulled out a fifth place. And uh, that's actually what got me started um, with going like that was what opened the door for me to go to MTF was me taking three regionals that year because we were driving from North Carolina. The first regional was at Gatorback in Florida. Okay. Then the next weekend, the regional was at, in at uh, Dutch Motorsports Park in Michigan, and then the third weekend it was at Broom Tioga in New York. So we went like from North Carolina, to Florida, back to North Carolina to Michigan, back to North Carolina to New York. So the next year we're going to the first regional. My dad's like, "Look, if you make it in both of your classes this year at the first regional." I'll get you lessons with anyone you want. Like any, anyone you want to get lessons with, I would get, get you riding lessons. I was like, okay. And so I made it the first one and he's like, all right, where do you want to go? And I think it was that year in between the regional and the Reddits, I told him MTF. So uh, I don't even remember how I had heard about MTF. I don't know how, you know, I don't remember how MTF was the place that we ended up going, but um yeah, it's uh, just kind of snowballed from there into moving down there, I think, the next year. And uh been here ever since. Well, yeah, and honestly, like, MTF was sort of, at that point, only basically, like, the, like it was obviously known for Davey Millsaps coming out. He, he turns pro 2004. Uh, this is, like, sort of on the backside of 2006 going into 2007, still relatively unknown and just to back up a second to uh, go through some of the murderers row of that 65 class that particular year adam cincerillo goes 2-1-1 for the overall but uh connor pearson takes the second spot uh thomas covington's in there uh you're obviously fifth right behind uh, uh zach commons uh darian sanaya yeah. is in there benny bloss is in there 
Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, he got Benny Bloss went. He's in the. Uh, he's back of the pack. He went 38, 37, 32 uh, in yeah. that class with Blake Green as well. Um, and then another guy that you must have battled with a lot growing up in uh, Matthew Burkeen, who uh, went oh, yeah. 33, 11, 10 on a KTM. He's from uh, Cary, uh, North Carolina. Uh, he finished yeah. just ahead of Aaron Plessinger um, and, and Chase Marquier. You guys must have battled tooth and nail because you guys were both very fast, like top top 10 Loretta's kids uh, racing out of basically the same area. Yeah, yeah, no, Matt, like, he had my number for sure. There wasn't very much battling at that point. Uh, I'm surprised that I beat him that year. He was uh, he was definitely better than me. Like, maybe then is whenever I started being able to kind of battle him, you know. But uh, before then, on 50s and stuff, Matt was by far and better, by far better than me. Uh, he was like, you know, he was, the year I got 22nd at Loretta's, he was leading Loretta's, and I think his bike broke or something. Uh, I think he was actually beaten. AC maybe, but uh, yeah, I think he won yeah, one no, moto. Matt, if not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he won a moto, and then I think like his dad worked for Co- worked for Cobra back then. I'm pretty sure, and then I think his bike broke in the second moto. Uh, I don't remember what happened. I, I want to say maybe I'd have to ask Matt or Mike. I think maybe a throttle cable broke or something like that. And <laughs> Mike actually picked the bike up like off the ground carried it to the fence and threw it over the fence at Loretta's like literally just threw the whole bike over the fence I still remember that it was uh yeah it was pretty but I mean he was Matt was really good um and then uh yeah I don't we we battled a lot I mean like you said we're both from North Carolina we were really good friends too we we you know would see each other at all the races we always talked and Really good friends. A lot of, you know, a lot of the North Carolina races, it would be me, uh, Matt Burkeen, and Keith Tucker. Like, we were all three, like, if all three of us showed up, you knew it was going to be a battle, you know? It was going to be a battle. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it's pretty cool to kind of go back and see. I mean, a lot of those names, I, I wouldn't even have guessed that, that they were in there, like Blake Green, Benny Bloss. Um, you know, I knew, I, you almost forget about someone like Connor Pearson. I mean, he was so good back in the day on fifties and 65s. I mean, that kid was just as good as AC was, but like for sure on fifties. And I mean, AC was one of the best on a 50. So it's pretty cool. Certainly. And, and so going back to the ranch on a, on a, a pretty regular basis after that, you don't miss a single year until you eventually graduate in 2014 and, and make your pro debut a short bit after that. Um, like you, you start basically you're going down to MTF quite a bit. Uh, what was the scene like uh, when you first got there? Like I said, still sort of earlier years going down there, probably not as popular as it is uh, like, by the time you were gone, you were uh, heading off to uh, to raise pros, and, and and certainly not as as popular as it is now. Um, how did that landscape change over the years? As well as who are some of the guys that you were uh, riding and training with right off the hop? Yeah, so I started at MTF full time. Not I, I say full as a full time member. I wasn't down there full full time, but I was down there quite a bit. I would go for you know like a month or two before the big races, you know, like I would go for probably two months before Minios. And then after areas got over, I would be down there the whole time before Loretta's and I'd be there for a month or two before spring nationals. So, um, that started in 07 at the end of 07, like before Minios was my first, first one. And then my first full year was, was 08. I'm pretty sure. 
And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot, you know. Whenever I first went there, it was, you know, maybe maybe 20 members there, you know, from I was the youngest for sure. Uh, I think the next youngest would have been like Dakota, Alex, and um, like A-Ra, Anthony Rodriguez eventually came. But I think at the beginning it was like Dakota, Alex, Jace Owen, um, there, you know, another – couple guys on 85s that I was that like not necessarily I wouldn't say I was battling with they were a lot faster than me I was definitely the slowest at MTF whenever I started but would have been like uh Jacob Hayes was there uh Joey Savacci um Barsha had just gotten to the big bikes I think uh I think he was on 250 whenever I started there um and then yeah I'm trying to think like Nick Gaines was there for a little while I don't remember what year that would have been that he was there. I can't remember if it was like 08 or 09, but I think he was there for about a year. Um, Keith Tucker came down. He was there for a really long time. Uh, me and Keith were pretty much best friends at MTF. We did a lot of stuff together there. And uh, Nick Farrell was there, Stone Edler. But Stone Stone came a little a little later. Nick came down kind of whenever I first started, and then he – left for like a year and then he came back for quite a few years. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot different though, you know, like, uh, just whenever you roll in there now and, and see it, and if you could roll into the same place in 2007 and see it, I mean, it's just completely different, you know, more buildings and where the gym was, that gym burned down a few years ago. So they had to build a new gym and now they have a kitchen there and a like a physio room that was a game room at one point, but none of that was there whenever I started. It was basically whenever I started, it was just the gym and it was a smaller gym than what it ended up being. They ended up adding on to it, but uh, it was just a gym, the shop, and a bunk and a bunkhouse. And there's a schoolhouse also. Um, and then there was only maybe, if I had to guess, maybe 15 like hookup spots. And now they've added, you know, way more hookups and they're, you know, it's just, it's way different. You know, there's way, way more infrastructure there now, I guess you could say. Well, fair enough. Yeah. You're actually making yourself sound old at this point, man, is how, how much that I has changed, old. but it, it really yeah. goes to show uh, just how long you've been at this and, and performing at a high level. Um like growing up and riding there on a regular basis, you must have seen uh, a lot of guys come and go and like kids that had a bunch of potential who ended up either fizzling out due to uh, like other priorities or injuries and stuff like that. Um, is there anyone that you can think of that uh, like just had all kinds of potential and either ran into a bunch of injuries or just never ended up making it to the pro scene that, that at one point they were one of the fastest guys over at MTF? Yeah, I mean, for sure, there's, I mean, there's so many of guys like that that, like, had that potential, but just, you know, something happened or this or that, and, uh, I mean, I, a lot of it's injuries, right? Like, you get injured at the wrong time in your amateur career or whatever it is, and it's just, like, really hard to come back from because, you know, you're growing so much at that point. Everyone's getting so much faster so quick, and, you know, you miss out on good results for you know, six months or a year and you could have missed out on, on a good ride or, or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, 
you know, some of the, the best guys that, that I rode with that just never like ended up like fully making it was, you know, someone like Keith Tucker, like just so much talent on a dirt bike, but um, just, you know, he would seem like he, it, like me and him are, are still really good friends, but we were just best friends back then. And, uh, and, you know, it just always seemed like the, the little injuries would come at just the worst time, like right before Loretta's or, or whatever. And, and for whatever reason, like we would be, you know, the same speed at MTF and then we would get to the races and, and I would be just a little better than him, you know, like it would just like, I would be, I remember one year, I think, I think I won schoolboy one and I don't remember if he got second or third in the class. I think he got second in a moto. Maybe I can't remember for sure. I could be, I could be wrong on that, but, um, but he, you know, like it just seemed like he was always just like that little bit off whenever we got to the races, but just so much talent. Like he could do so much more on a dirt bike than, you know, something like than what I could do as far as natural talent and being able to rod and throw whips and do different tricks and stuff. I just couldn't do that. But, um, also another guy was, uh, stone Edler, you know, like he, he was living with me and we were both racing super many class. And then, uh, and I think I moved up to, he was a pretty small kid, still pretty short. And, uh, I moved up to a, um, a big bike and I think he was still on a super mini and he had a he was living with like we were living together in my camper at MTF and uh I can't remember what year this was I'm thinking maybe maybe 2011 uh okay. if I had to guess was maybe 2011 but I, I don't remember for sure 2011 but, um, you still went you were on uh super minis at Loretta's 2012 you're on schoolboy and you win one title yep yeah. yep yeah. so I'm thinking it was 2011 but i don't remember for sure but uh he was living with me and um he fell one day pretty hard i i wasn't riding i don't think for some reason i can't remember maybe i was i I don't really remember though um but he fell pretty hard he busted up his face a little bit had a bloody nose and uh he was like sitting on the steps of the camper and um keith tucker's mom came over and was like stone are you okay and he was kind of kind of out of it he's like yeah i'm okay I, I think i'm fine so she came back and checked on him like i don't know how long you know 15 20 minutes later something like that and he was still kind of out of it and she's like i think he was complaining about like his sternum hurting or something and he had hit his head a little bit too and uh he goes she's like i'm gonna take you to the hospital like just get you checked out make sure everything's okay so she took him and they actually, it's a very crazy story. They actually um, found in the x-ray of his chest, he had a tumor. Oh. And yeah, whoa, is right. And I think he didn't end up leaving the hospital right then. Like he was there, had cancer. I don't remember what cancer it was, but uh, I remember packing him up a bag of his clothes from the camper and sending it with um, either Elena, which was Keith's mom, or Colleen. And um, but like before that, like Stone was one of the guys. You know, like you went to the. I think he rode for Team Green for a little while. Um, you know, he was one of the top. You know, five guys that you show up to Loretta's, you're worried about racing. You know, and um, and he had to go through you know chemo, all kinds of stuff like that, and. Uh, yeah, he showed up. I can't. I, if it was that year, I think he showed up to many O's, 
it may have been 2012 now that I'm thinking about it, but I still don't know for sure. But uh, he showed up to Minio's and, uh, you know, he had been doing chemo. He, his, he just looked completely different. It was pretty, it was pretty sad to see, but then he actually got through it. Everything was good. He made a comeback. He was riding really, really good. And he was starting to actually like go fast again. And uh, I think he got a small, like a little ride with a, uh, Orange Brigade, uh, a KTM team, um, back in, in, I think that might've been 2012. I really, like I said, I can't remember exactly on the years for that one, but, uh, he like his first or second day on that KTM, whenever he just got that rod, he had a bad crash and broke his humerus in his arm. And, uh, that was just one of those where like, he just never really came back from that. And, uh, I think he ended up breaking it again and didn't even crash on it, just uh, landed a supercross triple and the impact broke it like right above wherever the plate was, you know, like a stress fracture. And um, after that, it was just like, he just never came back from that. But as someone else that, you know, just unfortunate things happened, but he was so talented. Like we would battle all the time at MTF and, and growing up racing before he even came to MTF, like that was one of the guys that you knew, like was going to put up a fight whenever you showed up to the race, you know? For sure. And like, actually every time that I, I comb through the results in the Loretta Lynn's vault, it, it just reminds me of how much of an absolute meat grinder, uh, professional motocross can be just all the yep. names that immediately pop out. Like, uh, the, the guys that were like, yeah, if you watch verb moto back in the day, like these kids were at the absolute tip of the spear, like pinnacle, like, uh, I think of guys like Landon Courier who, like for all intents and purposes for a few years there, like they, like this kid's bad news and he's coming to the pros and essentially that never happened. Um, yep. I even think of like, uh, like your, your first championship at Loretta's uh, schoolboy one 12 to 16 BC title. You go two one four, uh, but the guy who beats you in the first moto, Jarek Balkovic, 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 yep. First of all, never heard of the kid prior to reading it, obviously, to butcher his last name. Uh, but at one point, this kid must have been, like, serious, seriously, like, a bad dude on a dirt bike. And obviously, like, he doesn't race pro, like, doesn't never never made a pro debut. Um, yep. It's kind of crazy to think of, like, that. that's, like, just, like, how much yep. effort can go through to that. And then it turns out to be, uh, yeah, just something that you used to do. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah, Jarek, uh, I was actually me, him and Matt Burkeen were like really, really good friends growing up on like fifties and 65s. We would meet up in places and cause he was from Pennsylvania, but he would come down to North Carolina a lot to ride, especially like okay. during the winter time because it was too cold in Pennsylvania. Um, our families were all good friends and stuff. And, um, then actually he from what I remember, he was maybe going to come to MTS whenever I came to MTF, but his dad decided not to, they decided not to do it. And then whenever I came to MTF, that's whenever I started beating him more because before that he would beat me more than I would beat him. I would say, or maybe 50, 50, I don't know, but we were always pretty close. You know, like it was always a good battle. Well, once I came to MTF, I started beating him more and being consistently better than him. And which is expected, right? Because I'm riding, I'm training like a lot more than he is now, you know, like I'm getting gnarlier tracks to ride and I'm, I'm getting instruction. Like, of course I'm going to get better. So then that kind of 
from what I remember, like kind of started a little bit of a rivalry there and we did not like each other for a long time. I mean, like every time we were on the track, we got together, like he would take me out, whatever it was. We, every single time we were on the track, it was just not good ever. Like we went down together so many times. I can't even count. And it was, it was really bad, but, uh, but yeah, he was so good. Like he was really fast. That was definitely my main competition in that 125 class that year. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it's crazy looking back at all the names. I think, uh, what really Jarek was, he, so I, like he didn't come down to NTF, but then he did end up going to GPF like okay. a year or two years later. Yep. Like right beside MTF. And, uh, he went there for a little while and then I want to say he may have went somewhere else, uh, like Izzy's or somewhere like that. I don't know for sure, but I think he did go to another train facility. And, um, and then he got hurt pretty bad at a race. Um, I don't know where he ended up going like to train wise. Like it was GPF or well, he was at GPF. And then I don't know, he may have went to Izzy's or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but uh, he ended up, you know, kind of getting better again. And we would battle all the time. And it seemed like we always found each other on the track. And then uh, he ended up at a race that I wasn't at. I don't remember where it was. He broke his jaw really bad. I want to say maybe a first-term pileup or something. Uh, broke his jaw really bad. Had to get a lot of metal in his face. And uh, that was just one of those things where he never really made it, like, a good comeback from it. You know, like, he, he came back and raced again, but he just n- never was really the same. And right about that time is whenever – like actually after I won the schoolboy class that he got second and I don't know if he ended up second overall or not. Uh, you could probably tell me if you had it up. Um, but which one, uh, after the schoolboy at Loretta's, the one that I went like one, uh, two, one, four, and he won the first moto first moto. He actually, yeah. Um, he won that first moto and then he has some bad finishes. Maybe the two of you guys got together in the second moto cause he ended up 29th. Uh, yeah, and, I, I don't, I don't remember what happened. I, we didn't get together, but yeah. I don't remember what happened. But yeah, after was, that race is whenever I got the Geico ride. And yep. then right about that time is whenever he got hurt with his jaw. And like I said, with the, like, you know, one of those timing things where, you know, we were pretty even before that, like I would probably say I got him more than he got me at that point. But, you know, any day he could show up and beat me, you know, or I could show up and beat him. So, um, and that's just kind kind of where that road splits, and it's like it either goes right or it doesn't, you know. And uh, unfortunately for him, it just didn't go right. Certainly, and yeah, that that's a that's a story that can be told for a lot of these guys. A couple other guys that you ended up besting uh, in that first uh, championship uh, day. Uh, obviously, uh, Ryan Serac com- comes in in the second spot. Alex Fry, who uh, is now a college graduate. Keith Tucker, like you mentioned, Lorenzo Lucercio, um, Tristan Charbonneau, who's been on this podcast in the past, as well as uh, Canadian National Perfect Season 2022 champ Dylan. Right went 25 27 <laughs> 21 aboard his yamaha you also uh waxed and probably lapped 
uh, Cameron McAdoo because he went 34, 25, <laughs> 24, uh, just ahead of uh, Rookie White. Uh, so just like a ton of names in there. And, and you're right that Jarek yeah. ended up winning a championship on the 65s uh, ahead of Jesse Masterpool, who is a guy that you must have ran into a little bit as well, uh, racing Suzuki's uh, during yep. the mid 2000s. Like you guys must have, uh, uh, you're essentially two Suzuki teammates. Yep, we were. We were both on the uh, the Rockstar Makita Suzuki amateur team there. And uh, we, um, yeah, we were pretty good friends, actually. And he was a little older than me. I think maybe only a year, uh, like, race, you know, AMA age. He was, you know, if I was nine, he was 10. So he was, yep. like, the same age as Cooper because Cooper's also, like, a year racing age older than me. And okay. we were me, AC, Plessinger, that whole group of us were a year younger. So, like, we would – race them one year and then we wouldn't the next you know like with the age group classes being like uh like the 65 7 to 9 and then the 10 to 11 12 to 13 85 14 to 15 you know so we would race them one year and then not but uh yeah that was uh jesse was one of my good friends and um i actually i was watching because i wasn't in the moto that he crashed uh so bad there at lake whitney but i i was on the fence and i watched this crash that was pretty that's pretty tough yeah no i i remember that uh that weekend and hearing about it that was a uh, a shockwave that went through the entire sport like a, a lot of kids yeah. obviously watching uh him and ac do battle for a ton of a ton of years uh same thing with uh with cooper as well um and all of a sudden like that like another name another yeah. name from them too from then too is matt the show yeah yes uh, Shelly, yeah. the don't remember which what class it was i'm thinking 85 7 to 11 or yeah i think it was 85 7 to 11 i don't know if it was like if it was mod or stock but uh the shelia and master pool were battling really hard for the win at loretta's um and last moto AC was pretty much out of it, like mathematically, like he was going to have to have something happen to both of them, but it was kind of a winner take all between Bashelia and Masterpool. Okay. And they got together in the yeah. billboard turn and their bike was stuck together for laps. Like not just like it, they, they didn't finish the race. It was that long. Yeah. They, they went 23, 29, multiple people. Yeah. They had to get multiple people over there. I, don't know if it was lot no it wasn't last up because they were stuck for lots but maybe they did get back going but yeah it was it was crazy they just literally were stuck there and they couldn't get their bikes apart they got together and and then it gave ac the title that was crazy i, I was somehow i was think i was sitting on the line maybe because i was racing 65 or something you're in that I don't, moto I don't know how that worked out but was i jordan smith uh 19th in that moto. okay maybe maybe i just remember it wrong maybe i was uh Maybe I was riding and just remember seeing their bikes start together. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. No kidding. Yeah, like uh, yeah, Justin Hills in that class, Chris Aldridge. Uh, in fact, I think at one point those three guys were all teammates on PC at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually kind of crazy to think of. And then yeah, uh, Plessinger making his pro debut right around that time as well. Um, through your time at uh, like at. at uh, at MTF, like I, I had Tristan Charbonneau on here. Uh, he seemed a bit bitter about his exit to the sport. 
Um, but you guys would have similar memory of the, the education side of things. Like he basically told me that like school just straight up didn't happen. And maybe that's just his experience because he just straight up didn't do the work. Uh, but what was like homeschool and that type of atmosphere like for you, uh, growing up through the sport and, and obviously spending a lot of time away from, uh, um, uh, from an actual classroom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, school definitely happened for me. Uh, it maybe that was his experience, but, uh, for me, we actually, so I was about 14 whenever I started being an MTF by myself. Um, and I don't really, how old are you whenever you start, like whenever you're a freshman at high school, probably around that age, right? 14, 14 15. Yeah. 14. Okay. So, um, my spot, my hookup spot at MTF was right beside Keith Tucker's. And Keith and I were the same age. He was racing age a year older, but his birthday is in December and mine's in February. So we were only two months apart, but racing age, we were a year apart. So, um, but his mom stayed with him at MTF until he was like 18, I think. So um, she was always there and we did the same school program. Uh, it was... Um, Alpha Omega Academy is what it was called. It was on, it was all online. Like you had online teachers and stuff. Um, and you could like, it was one that you could go at your own pace. Like it wasn't like you had to be in classrooms and stuff for it. Like you could go at your own pace, but, mm-hmm. um, you did have to call in like once a unit to talk to your teacher and everything. And so we did a lot of our schoolwork together, like at the same time, you know, like we took mostly the same classes. We did have some different classes once we, we're like junior and freshman or junior and senior in high school. But uh, yeah, we both got our diploma. Um, his mom stayed on us. And then, you know, a lot of times I would, it, it would, I would say it was more of a year round school for, for me and Keith, because not that we would do it like every day year round, but like we would like do a little bit. And then after Loretta's, whenever we got the time, like, you know, a month and a half off before MTF opened back up, we would do like just so much in that month and a half to finish the year that we were on. And then as soon as we finished that, it was time for the new school year to start. And we'd have to go right back into it. And we kicked ourselves every year for not just doing a little more during the year because we had to sc- cram so much in that last month. But, uh, but yeah, we both got our high school diplomas and, uh, and all worked out there. Yeah. Every single year. We're like, man, we got to stop doing this to ourselves and put ourselves in a better position. Yeah, every year. And then, yeah, right back in there. That's uh, well, yeah. as long as the I result... mean, it's hard to sit yeah. down and do schoolwork when all the other kids are out riding pit bikes and stuff. Right. It's, it's yeah. hard to like, I remember my mom being like, no, you have to do school. I'm like, but mom, there's kids out there riding pit bikes. Like, let me go. And she's like, no, nope. you guys like my mom and Keith's mom were definitely like the hardest on uh, out of like, the kids at MCF, like, they were the hardest. But Colleen is very, like, she wants everyone to have a good education. And mm-hmm. um, she actually, uh, I don't think there's a teacher there right now, but she had a teacher at MCF um, for a while. She's had a few different ones over the years. But, um, and, like, would the teacher would make, you know, they, they'd have to go, like, twice a week to the teacher. And he would make, he or she, whichever one it was, would make sure that you know the kids are are on track and uh and stuff like that so i I don't know like how how strict the teacher was on making sure the kids are on track and stuff but i know that my 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 parents and keith's parents were very strict on us so we always had to finish it off 
Yeah, totally agree, man. Like I, I had such a hard time with like my, I would go on these ski trips two weeks long. Uh, my teacher would send or would send a bunch of stuff home uh, from a mom to send me with. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in those two weeks, uh, I'm sorry to say we did not crack the books too much. Uh, our coaches yeah. uh, like it just like we would rather uh, go try and like build a jump on our with it and go hit on our skis like off in the back country somewhere rather than do schoolwork. But uh you were still able to get your your uh your diploma as was I. No harm, no foul and uh you were able to see it through. So so hats off to that. Yep, thank you. Yep. I'm I'm proud of that now looking back. At the time I didn't want to do the work, but I'm proud of it now. Certainly. So you uh, you'd mentioned after that uh, that moto win second moto win uh, aboard uh, your Suzuki uh, you end up getting approached and uh, sign a deal with uh, with that that time would have been Amsoil Honda uh, fact the factory connection effort um, which would have been a huge moment uh, I wonder how that like how were you approached about that when did those conversations start to begin and um, and just that level of support for your last two years in the amateur scene uh, must have been uh, pretty fantastic as you move towards uh, your eventual uh, pro debut, uh, Daytona 2005 or 2015. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I knew Ziggy from Factory Connection. You know, Ziggy's the owner of Factory Connection, right. huge, huge name in the sport, and he was part owner of Geico. And I had met Ziggy whenever I was probably like 11 years old because he would come down to MTF before the big races, mini O's, Loretta's, spring nationals. And he would test with anyone that was running Patrick Connection suspension, get them dialed in, you know, get them ready for the races. So I had met Ziggy, you know, at a, at a young age and uh, had built a pretty, actually a really good relationship with him. And um, actually my last year on 65s, uh, like whenever I was riding the 65 and the 85, I was pretty big on a 65 and I was just over it. Like I didn't want to race it anymore. I went to, um, I think some of the gold cup races before many O's and I was just like, dad, like I, I don't want to race the 65 anymore. I'm too big for it. It doesn't handle good. Like I'm over it. And Colleen did not want me to not like to stop riding the 65. She's big on you know like riding a bike even whenever you're too big for it like it teaches you a lot of things and and I agree with her now but at that time I was just over it didn't want to ride it and my dad told Colleen and I think Ziggy was maybe at one of the gold cups or winter amps or whatever I was at and uh he was like he was like can we try it to do things with suspension like will you give it a shot if we try it and I was like yeah so we went back to MTF. He tested with me with some suspension, came up with a great setting, and I rode that 65 that next year and uh, won my first title at Minios that year. Then won no, won my first title at um, not it was not at Minios. It was at um, the Spring Nationals at Lake Whitney. Won my first title and then almost won Loretta's on it. And then I even raced it into Minios like I was. It was going to be my last race on it. I won two titles at Minios. So that was like really where it started there for me and Ziggy was like a huge part of that and after that like I just had a really good relationship with Ziggy um would talk to him at every race that we went to all that stuff and uh like it was my like I was a huge Justin Barsha fan as a kid and he was on Geico and 
I knew Ziggy and all this stuff. And like, that was my goal was, you know, like was to get on Geico. That was my dream team. And uh, yeah, after, you know, I, I knew that like there was some inter- a little bit of interest going into Loretta's that year, but you know, like knew that it would be a possibility, but I didn't really think like that early, like, cause really, you know, most of the time, like whenever, uh, like Tomac and Barsha, I think like maybe they signed like the end of their B year or like mainly like into a, and then raced like one year of a, and then went pro. And, uh, but AC had just signed with PC for like, I don't know, four or five years, you know, on a super mini. And so we knew it was like a possibility and I did pretty good at Loretta's. Like, I mean, I really expected and, and out of myself to win both of those classes that year, schoolboy one and schoolboy two, but had some troubles in schoolboy two and, uh, but rode good. And yeah, after, I think at Loretta's actually, um, you know, like Ziggy talked to my parents, um, we had Bobby Reagan came to the camper, talked to my parents. Uh, I think maybe Bobby Hewitt did too, I think. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. It, no, 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 it wasn't Bobby Hewitt. Uh, TLD got in contact with the person, I was, like got in t- contact with Colleen, talked to her. And also P, like Kawasaki PC offered me a little it wasn't a like it didn't have anything with pro on it uh for that but they offered me something as well for an amateur deal and um yeah so then that my parents didn't tell me that stuff until after Loretta's was over they didn't want to get into my head so uh found out after and then uh yeah we just started talking to some of so mainly Kawasaki and uh and Geico and uh yeah I ended up I mean, it was my dream to ride for Geico anyways. And so I ended up going that route and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty special and exciting moment. And, uh, in my career. So, uh, but it was, it was good, you know, like having that support, like having that team going into like B year. And I think it just, I think it, it raised my confidence as well. And, uh, I went into Minio's that year in 2012, uh, my first race on the, on the Geico bike or at, you know, the amateur was like you said, Amsoil. So, um, but on the, on the Fancy connection bike and, uh, I won nine titles at many years that year, nine out of 10, I won, I think I won 18 out of 20 motos Jesus. and, uh, I was racing the 250 and the 450 class, uh, stock and mod. So 450 stock class, I had to run a stock 250 bike, couldn't run a whole shot device or anything because it's stock class. So, um, but cleaned up there and then, uh, pretty much cleaned up like that whole B year. Like I was just really riding good. I think I only lost a couple motos like all year up going into Loretta's. Like, I think I lost one moto to, uh, at a area to, um, my buddy Stone Edler that I talked about before. Right. Uh, but we had rode up there together. We were kind of playing around in that moto and just like, we were pretty like, a good bit better than like the other guys in the moto. And, uh, we were like kind of messing around stuff in each other and, and he ended up beating me in the moto. But, uh, I went like, uh, I didn't race spring nationals that year cause I dislocated my shoulder. And then, uh, I won every moto at mammoth that year until I got in the first turn pileup and dislocated my shoulder again. Um, and then at Loretta's, I won the stock class. I went one, one, one in the stock class, but, uh, the mod class, my bike blew up first moto. And then, uh, 
we, it was like a real muddy week that week. And uh, I think I got second or third in the second moto. And then uh, I think I got second in the second moto. I was leading and fell. Um, my bike was blown up again in that moto, but it made it to the end. And then uh, the last moto was on TV and uh, it was a complete mudder and, and Plessinger smoked me. He's, he's good in the mud way better than I was. So uh, he smoked me in that race, but, uh, but yeah. And then uh, going into uh, mini O's that year, my first a race uh, second moto of the week uh, kids chain broke on Supercross uh, before the triple, like right in front there, like the grandstand triple and chain broke right before it and the kids started pulling off the track and I had to swerve to miss him and I hit the tough block or it wasn't a, it wasn't a tough block it was a hay bale hit it on the top of the face and uh had the bail and broke my femur and tore my ACL in opposite legs and uh yeah that one's tough for me to come back from it it took a while before like I really felt good on a dirt bike again my whole a year was just really not that great and uh yeah I think uh that really kind of derailed uh, the the early part of my career there, like even even into pros, I think. So it was uh, that was tough. Certainly, almost kind of like a fa- a failure to launch uh, the final portion of of that uh, scenario for you. The like that a year is so important or at least that last year uh in the amateur scene um just the one moto result from uh in 2014 you go six dnf dns at loretta's that year uh after having a very successful 2013 um like putting yourself behind the eight ball a little bit uh, for, for not only prep to, to like, obviously that, that would have been time where you would have spent a lot of time uh, getting used to riding supercross and even probably spending some more time on supercross uh, getting whoops down and yep. stuff like that. That would have all been really important. Um, but despite all that, when you turned pro in 2015 and even in 2000 in, into 2016, you showed speed from the very get-go. In fact, your second ever result uh, on a on a 250F for Geico at that point, uh, Indianapolis, a fourth-place spot. Like, um, like right off the hop, you you like you might have been behind the eight ball a little bit, but you showed speed immediately. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I was supposed to go pro after the Reddits that year in 2014, but um, about three weeks before Loretta's I was uh, going around a turn I didn't fall or anything I just caught my toe on the ground and uh, tore some ligaments in my ankle so uh, I didn't get to ride at all before Loretta's and I tried to show up and race and you know that didn't go very good and uh, ended up twisting my ankle again and that's why DNF DNS the second and third moto there and uh, so at that point we just called it quits for um, the last three nationals that I was supposed to do and then uh healed up got ready for supercross and uh was feeling pretty good like you know had a solid off season i would say for a rookie you know like nothing too crazy and uh about a week and a half before the first round it was in dallas that year uh bike shut off on electrical issue uh in a rhythm section on a really high speed triple it was a triple 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 it was on the second one and bike shut off right at the bottom of the face. And uh, I got really lucky to come out as clean as I did, but I did break my hand. Uh, I had a boxer's fracture on the fifth uh, metacarpal there and went into surgery that same day, got a plate put on it. And um, 
yeah, so that was a week and a half before Dallas. I think it, if I'm not mistaken, it went Dallas, Atlanta, Atlanta. And I sat out Dallas and the first Atlanta, and then I raced the second Atlanta is the first race that I did. And I think you're uh, right. actually didn't even make the main event at that Atlanta. Uh, I was struggling really bad in the whoops, and my hand was still pretty bad. Like, would definitely was not good probably shouldn't have been out there but uh <laughs> we tried and ended up getting together with someone passing for a transfer spot in lcq didn't make the main so i was like wow you know like <laughs> just didn't make the main at my my pro debut so it's cool um and then daytona and then got better there i don't remember what place i got at daytona maybe 12th. 10th 11th 12th something like that 12th yes sir and uh so got better and then yeah indy it was uh had a it was a really gnarly track i mean how indy can get you know just super rutted and stuff and that was probably one of the most rutted and i think it was one of those things i just kind of survived and uh pulled out of fourth place it was pretty good yeah and like what i remember about the earliest portion of your career was obviously a, a lot of sort of i wouldn't say hype but like knowing this, this kid's coming um, and then, uh, obviously the, the injuries took a little bit off of that, uh, that fastball, um, which left a lot of people at the end of 2015, sort of like scratching their heads. Like, okay, like, is, is, is this kid, uh, going to be for real? Is he going to be like a top five guy? Is he going to be a, 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 a title contender? Um, and then you come out swinging in 2016, 2017, and really start to put in some really solid results, um, on, on the Honda as well as uh, on the KTM when uh, your first year with uh, with TLD, what changed for you and what, what allowed you to kind of make that next step? Because there's a lot of guys who struggle out of the gate and then they never end up being able to figure it out. Like, obviously, you need the support and the time for people to help you develop, but you also need to do that developing. What, what changed for you? What allowed you to make that next step? Yeah, um, I mean, so, yeah, 16... I really started out good and I had a bad off season in 16. Um, I really wasn't riding that great. And uh, I want to say I had a little crash right before didn't get hurt, but just had a pretty good crash. Like right before a one, I raced West coast that year and then uh, came out and should have podium first round of a one that year. I was in third with, I don't know, maybe five minutes left and really had a little bit of a gap and was like, you know, felt comfortable and washed the front, ended up fifth. And then I got my first podium at San Diego and I'm like, okay, you know, like things are really getting, you know, going in the right direction. And, um, a two, there was a huge set of whoops and I struggled in them. Like I was pretty good in the first practice and we made a suspension change um and the rest of the day i like really struggled in them and i don't i don't remember what place i got maybe fifth or sixth that night yep. and i was in second in the points going into that that race and uh and just didn't you know i was like i think i was probably doubling the whoops in the main event like just really was struggling in the whoops and uh so we went back and um we went on monday to ride and at Geico, they wouldn't they wouldn't go test like on Monday. Save me a time to like get stuff, you know, like squared away from the weekend, get some settings built, whatever. So we went to Milestone, and I was out there riding, and uh, we called the suspension guys because I was struggling in the whoops again. Like I hadn't really been struggling in them, and then all of a sudden I really started struggling in them after we made that suspension change. So 
we um we ended up uh like trying to make some quicker adjustments i was working on the whoops trying to get better in them and uh i fell pretty hard and got a uh really bad ac separation not really bad like i was able to race the next weekend but it like I, again i probably shouldn't have been out there racing you know it was it was pretty bad it was really painful and uh ended up having to to call it halfway through that supercross season and uh and yeah i uh i actually had signed a deal after those first few races with geico um to stay with them for another two years and um after like about halfway through outdoors i was really struggling with the bike i felt like not not everyone there, but I felt like certain people at Geico didn't believe in me, and they you know they wanted to blame it on me, and not not saying that it wasn't on me, but I felt like a lot of it was the bike, and they didn't want to change much, and you know they were starting it was starting to just go to a bad relationship with a lot of the people there, and uh, so I called Ziggy, and it was one of the hardest calls of my life, and and asked out of my contract, and uh, he understood and. They let me out and uh, I got out without knowing really what I was going to do. Like as far as where I was going to go, I hadn't, you know, I had had some good races, but I really hadn't done that much for people to really like to be just ringing my phone off the hooks. Right. So um, I ended up uh, talking to TK with TLD and uh, that's where I ended up going. And yeah, I don't, I don't really know like what that, like transition was that really got me to going from one podium to almost winning the championship the next year. But, um, I just really vibed well with the team and with TK and the suspension guy. And I liked the KTM. It, it felt good. And, uh, I had a good off season for, for once I really came in healthy and, uh, I felt really good. And I just kind of started building that year. You know, I was getting really good starts, the best starts of my career. And, um, and, running up front with those guys you see that speed and, and you, you learn it and uh about midway through the season I, I won back-to-back races at Detroit and St. Louis and then about a race later I got the red plate going into Vegas and I was like well didn't expect to be here you know but uh but it was uh it was, it was really cool because just you know I I felt like even you know that last year in outdoors on Geico, I was struggling so much with the bike and and just me in general on outdoors. Like I felt so bad, and I, I mean there was days when I would just come back from motos at MTF or or at the race or wherever it was, and I would just be like, maybe I just don't have it, you know? Maybe I just don't have it and what it takes. And um, to go to to switch teams and just kind of switch the whole vibe up and uh, and go over there and and. Uh, it was it was cool to like prove it was kind of proved to myself that I could do it, you know, with a good team and around me and, and like vibing well with them and, and having people to work with me and stuff like that. And, uh, and just learning and, and getting better. And, uh, it, it was, it was really cool. Absolutely. No, switching to KTM was, was certainly, uh, a, a refresh for your career. You took a step forward, uh, both years after that. Um, and, but eventually did end up, uh, sort of running into some, uh, injury trouble, uh, towards the, I guess well, you were able to race almost every national, uh, I guess you, like your last national was Bud's Creek 
in 2018 uh that's honestly the the bulk of of you actually racing outdoor nationals uh prior to that yeah. you had a lot of injuries uh it, like to to that would basically like hamper your like outdoors uh results as well as just the number of events you've been able to to do um has has that really been like a portion of your career that you like you like i don't know if you want to say you want to improve on but like the fact that like that i'd imagine that those injuries and not being able to race outdoors has is certainly something that's that's held you back over the years given the fact that you only raced like three nationals in 2019 for uh for ktm uh didn't race a single national for uh for pro circuit despite being on that team for two years like uh that that's got to be uh like literally your last national was in 2019 at uh, Thunder Valley. That's pretty crazy yep. to think of. Yep. It, it is crazy. And, uh, I told, I actually had to get surgery right after that national at Thunder Valley there. Uh, I got surgery that next week on my wrist and I got raced those three nationals, but I would barely call it racing to be honest with you. My wrist was so bad. My hand was going to sleep about 10 minutes into it. and It was just so painful and stuff. And, um, so yeah, I was telling the guys whenever I started riding that star, uh, because I started riding in June and um, I don't know what the date was on that, uh, on that Thunder Valley national. I'm assuming it was probably the beginning of June sometime, but, uh, but yeah, that was the last time that I had rode in the month of June and I had hadn't rode in the month of July or August since um, 2018 outdoor season was the first time I rode in the month of July and August. So I'd went four years really without like riding at all during the summer and just jumping back onto supercross. And like this year, I think was so good for me to be out there riding for three months straight training with the guys on outdoors and, and just like really getting that speed and riding the ruts and that kind of stuff back. And uh, it, yeah, I mean, it was, it's tough. I, I really wish that I would have been able to race more outdoors in my career. I feel like I definitely, you know, from a fan's perspective or, from even a, a media perspective, you know, outside looking in, you look at me and I'm sure no one thinks like everyone's like, Oh, he's not an outdoor guy, but I really do enjoy outdoors. And I think that I'm a good outdoor rider, but it just has never worked out that good, you know? So, um, I'm hoping that, uh, that I can change that this coming year, 23. Fair enough. 23, uh, the returned outdoors potentially for, one Jordan Smith. Uh, one of the things that we talked about off air prior to starting the podcast is that you were part of the uh, one, like earliest part of the generations of kids that went to the, the facilities and uh, didn't really have like sort of like a home ice advantage when it came to uh, an actual national. Like I don't know what the, the closest national to uh, North Carolina is. I, I doubt you even like I even went to a lot of them or certainly not raced any of the national tracks uh, as you grew up. Um, do you have a, a particular track that you would consider to be like your home race? Um, uh, and, we did. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Uh, we did on the outdoors was uh, Muddy Creek. I grew up racing there a lot, uh, at, like on 50s and 65s. There was a, uh, a series called the ultra and mega series uh that we would go there and race they had a race called the top gun showdown had a lot of contingency stuff for that so i raced muddy creek all the time growing up so that was my home race but now yeah you're right like i never grew up racing any of those tracks um that are on the circuit now it's uh there's nothing really that close to north carolina so um i didn't honestly i'm trying to think i don't think that i ever went to an outdoor national either until my first one, maybe. 
I don't think I ever went to watch an outdoor national before I started racing them. That that's that's I, crazy to think of. Yeah, that I can recall. Maybe I maybe I did go whenever I was on uh, amateur on Geico. I may have been out there and watched them at like Glen Helen, possibly, but I can't remember for sure. So yeah, it's. Um, but now yeah, there's not really a whole lot. So like, I grew up going to Atlanta Supercross every year, and that was like our home race. You know, it's only about three and a half hours away. So. That was that was the race everyone in North Carolina looked looked forward to is going to to the Georgia Dome there in Atlanta and, and watching that race. Fair enough. So your home race is a Supercross then. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's that's unreal. That's uh, like sometimes you do hear those stories of like guys who make it to the NFL that like the first game that they go to an NFL game is one they're in because they're yeah. so locked into like amateur football and and growing up and and just playing yep. uh, like and eventually they, they end up in the stadiums. But um, one of the things that I had for you is uh, growing up through whether it's MTF or even throughout your pro career, the different uh, riding areas that you've wor- worked with, the different teams that you've worked with. Um, who would you say has had the most amount of success or has improved the most since the first time you laid eyes on this guy? Like who has done the most with the least amount of just natural ability on two wheels? And that's no slight to this person whatsoever, but clearly uh, they've, they've done some, uh, some homework and improved a hell of a lot over the years. Yeah. I, uh, this one's pretty easy, honestly. Uh, it's, uh, it's Luca Marcellisi. He, uh, he came to MTF. I was I'm I'm older than Luca, probably four years older than him, maybe something like that, four or five years. Um, so I was already like on the big bikes, and he came. His brother was there. Fred uh, was at MTF riding. Um, uh, he's older than me. And then uh, and then Luca came, and he was on a super mini, on a Kawasaki super mini, and. I mean, just I, I've told him this multiple times, and uh, he was just terrible. Like he really was, like just not good. Like didn't really hit any of the jumps. Like he would, you know, like a goonie, like body scrub all the tabletops, you know, like because he wouldn't jump them, and just not not a very good rider. But um, he's been an MTF ever since then. I don't know what year he came there, but uh, he's been an MTF ever since. And now, I mean, he's he was scoring points in the outdoors this year. You know, it's pretty, pretty incredible. And I think he even has more potential to unlock than, than what he's even shown this year. So uh, it's, uh, it was pretty impressive. And even one day I remember getting on a big bike and uh, like, he really started riding pretty good. And Brian, Brian Johnson, you know, he's a trainer at MTF and me and him were talking and he looked at me, he's like, you know, I never thought there would be a day that Luca could beat me on a dirt bike, but I promise you, I can't get on a dirt bike and go as fast as he's going now. And, and he's only gotten better since then. So it's uh, pretty impressive to see someone, you know, show up and, and like for him, he didn't even show up at like, obviously, you know, I think he was probably like 13 or 14 maybe. So that's young, but like not as young as a lot of guys go to training facilities and stuff or, or like, have started our, you know, most of the time, if you're 13 or 14, like you're, and you're going to be good in, in motocross or supercross, like you're winning super mini, or you're at least getting top 10 in super mini at Loretta's, you know, or 85, 12 to 13. But like for him to show up, like, you know, a little bit older and like that and, and still make it is, is really like a testament to how hard he's worked since he's been here. And 
than an MTF, and uh, it, it's really cool to see. Gotta love a success story like that. Uh, motocross is full of those, including one uh, yourself. Like I said, right off, we kicked off this podcast um, talking about a guy who's kind of pulling a little bit of a Larry Ward in a guy who had factory support, lost that factory support uh, to that like, you, you in 2000, this year in 2022. Now you find yourself rolling into 2023 on star racing monster star racing yamaha um with uh with with bobby reagan as your uh, team owner and uh maybe the most uh um aspirational 250f in the paddock underneath you uh riding at uh the goat farm you might have to pinch yourself every morning just to remind yourself that is exactly what the scenario is but uh um like clues didn't just like on like the 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 idea of getting back on a factory team, having that support and, and basically almost getting like a new lease on life as far as a professional career is considered. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm really excited. I mean, uh, I was really bummed whenever I lost the ride with PC and, uh, I was just really bummed on like how it went, you know, like I, I, it was, I looked at it as one of the best opportunities in my career whenever I signed with PC and, uh, to go ride for a team, like Mitch's and uh it just did not work out good wasn't from a lack of trying from me or the team but I just was hurt the whole time you know it's like one thing after another after another and it was like every time I talked to I think almost every time I've talked to Mitch on the phone it's like talking about an injury or telling him I got hurt or telling him telling him I still can't ride or whatever you know it got really frustrating and uh so to lose that and uh just to to work as hard as I did to, to come back from that and, and, you know, the people that helped me with, you know, everyone at MTF and everyone at Firepower Honda with Yurif and, and Martin and, and those guys to, to give me the tools to, to do, to show what I still have um, and, and to allow me to work that hard and, and ride every day like that. And uh, to, to get back to a factory team and nonetheless, you know, start racing in one of the, best teams in the business so um you know i'm I'm very blessed and uh definitely taking this opportunity and and doing everything i can and and trying to make the most of it that's for sure because uh you know this could be my last opportunity so i need to need to do everything i can to to keep that going and uh and you know so far it's been going really good it's going to make that uh, make it count in 2023. Jordan Smith here on the Big MX Radio podcast brought to you by Fox Racing Canada, Phoenix Handlebars, and Guts Racing. Um, I know it's it's still September, man. you got a lot of uh, time going before uh, you're going to put a lot of time in on a Supercross track. Obviously, you don't know if you're east or west, but uh, obviously talking off air, you'd be, you're champing at the bit. Uh, you'd race in December if they start the series early. Um what what are some goals that you have for yourself uh, rolling into uh, your first series with uh, with Star Racing Yamaha? Yeah, I mean uh, it's you know it's uh, not not that it's hard to make goals. I mean Star hired me for for one reason, right? They they hired me to win a Supercross championship, and uh, they're very clear with that whenever um, whenever we were in talks and and all that stuff. So um, you know that's that's ultimately the goal but uh, I think you know it's going to take some it's been since 2019 since I was on the podium at a supercross you know so uh, it's going to take a lot of a lot of stuff I think a really healthy off season and a healthy year is, is goal number one and then uh, I really think that all the hard work that I've been putting in and 
the team puts in and the bike that they provide me with is uh is gonna show and i think that the results will just come you know so um you know right away the goal is definitely to win win supercross i think uh i think it's attainable even though you know i haven't had the greatest years the last few years i still have that fight in me i still have the speed and uh now with a, a great bike and a great team around me and and uh a great program i think uh i think it's it's definitely an attainable goal to reach Awesome, man. Well, I really do appreciate you uh, being so candid. The stories have been amazing. I hope that people enjoy this. Uh, and uh, you've enjoyed going down memory lane, man. It actually really sounded like yeah. for a while. You're like, oh, the names yeah. uh, going no, no, through. No, no, it's crazy. Yeah. We talked about my whole racing career there. So uh, you, got, you got all the stories. Hopefully it makes for some good content. But uh, yeah, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's cool. You know, I wish that uh, some of these guys, like, I knew what they were doing nowadays, you know, like, or I could just get in contact with them and, uh, and see how they're doing, what they're doing, how that, you know, you, you make so many friends that become family and, and you meet their parents and, uh, and that kind of stuff and their parents and brothers and sisters of, of riders become your family. And, uh, it's, it'd be really cool to just like almost have a reunion, you know, like look up the, look up the results from 2005 Loretta's and we're just going to get everyone back together. <laughs> yeah, no, for certainly that, that would be unreal. And yeah, it would be crazy to see, like kind of find, like uh, figure out what those guys are up to a little bit of class reunion. Uh, maybe if it was even just like a graduating class of like, what are those guys doing from 2014 uh, that you were able to, uh, to do battle with? But uh, yeah, yep. this has been fun, man. I, I really appreciate you making the time. Yep, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, do not hang up just yet, but we're going to cut it off right there. And there you have it, my interview with Jordan Smith. Unreal guy, honestly. Uh, someone who I have a ton of respect for within the sport. A guy who's battled back from injury time and time again and is looking to do exactly that in 2023. Uh, like I said right off the hop, a bit of a career renaissance for a guy who came into the sport with, uh, at least in the pro ranks, with uh, a lot of anticipation. He's had good results. He's had uh, some results that he probably would rather forget, um, but hopefully looking to put that in the rearview mirror. Uh, and there's actually quite a few guys that are, are looking to do the same thing in 2023. Uh, I could cer certainly see a resurgence of a guy like Jordan, as well as a guy like Austin Forkner. It's a get right year for Austin. I think you're going to see him outdoors on a 450, um, possibly a, a three-man team for, uh, for Monster uh, Energy Kawasaki. Uh, that would be really interesting to see. Um, for those who listened to last week's podcast with um, both Mark Finley and Connor Olson, and uh, we're still a little bit curious about the uh, the new Fox boots, uh, I was actually able to ride with the Motion boot um, just uh, this uh, just yesterday, actually, and uh, I can honestly tell you that uh, back to back riding with the Instinct from 2022 and the 2023 motion, uh, not only did I find a lot of similarities, uh, but I really found that, uh, like, because typically if, I, if I'm thinking that most people are, are coming from a Fox boot, you're probably coming from the instinct, you're wondering what how the, the motion is gonna compare to that. Honestly, I found it to be an improved boot in overall. Um, 
and uh, I haven't yet gotten an opportunity to try the 2023 Instinct, but I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting my hands on that as well, so I can literally do a back-to-back -back comparison for those looking to go from an Instinct into an Instinct again. Um, but I, I really found that uh, not only was the, the new motion boot uh, a little bit lighter in, uh, on my feet, but also uh, I feel like I had great connection with the motorcycle. I was able to control the bike uh, a little bit better with the motion. Uh, it had that same step-in comfort that you're expecting from the, the, the Instinct, uh, but also it had a little bit more stand-up, uh, like right off the right out of the box which was surprising to me um because of course the instinct so well known for being such a a, a boot that doesn't require any type of braking whatsoever um and the motion just seemed to have a little bit more uh of the stiffness that i was looking for for the boot to uh sort of hold up a little bit more uh under some impacts as well as the uh, hard braking coming into corners so i was really encouraged by that so uh, i think that uh if you guys want to give that boot a, a shot uh certainly uh going to um withstand the test of time and uh, and hold up with whatever you're going to send to it um, and if you want to stick with uh, with an instinct or maybe you're in a different brand right now uh, I would I would be remiss if I didn't think that you'd be able to uh, feel very comfortable and uh, get a lot of value out of either one the the instinct or the motion uh, and if you're on on the entry level side of things as far as riding as well as uh, looking for an entry level price boot uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, with the comp which um, it the beauty of uh, of these companies that are always innovating these products is year over year over year even the base model uh, or the entry level product um, they, they pump a ton of technology into this to be able to get you as much protection and as much technology as you possibly can for your dollar. And it, it's, it's incredible to, for me to look at, say, uh, an Instinct boot. Um, like, the Instinct wasn't out uh, 20 years ago, but say, like, the top-level boot that was available through either Fox or a different brand 20 years ago uh, is, a, is an inferior boot to the, the, the base model that you're going to get uh, an entry-level boot today, which is pretty wild to think of, is that uh, you can go ahead and get the entry-level boot, the comp, from uh, which is also available in uh, an off-road model. I believe it's the Comp X. Uh, both those um, those those boots are extremely capable. They're light. Uh, they're durable, and you're going to have that some of that uh, um, material on the inside of the boot that's going to help that connection with your motorcycle. And as, as I said on previous podcasts, uh, aside from uh, sitting down too much, we should literally have four points of contact with our motorcycle, uh, the our feet and our hands. Of course, we're going to pinch with our knees as well, um, but uh, predominantly it's it's hands and feet, and uh, you're having what having extra control with what's on your feet is uh, a really important thing. Uh, I also want to give a huge shout out to uh, James Crutes at JK Suspension. Uh, he was able to uh, sight on scene uh, this past Monday. I said I was uh, dealing with a little bit of a fork issue. Uh, he gets off work at 8 o'clock or uh, p.m. and uh, said, hey, come on down to my place. Um, like, I don't think the guy even had dinner, and he went straight to working on my stuff. Uh, he does uh, he does stuff all over uh, all over Manitoba as far as working with riders, but I think he also does, uh, you, can, you can ship him stuff. Um, fantastic mechanic for engine work as well as suspension. Suspension is kind of his bread and butter, and he's damn good at it. Uh, so uh, 
if at the very least, you should follow along with JK Suspension. James Crude's great friend of mine, a guy I did a lot of battling with in my uh, youngest years, uh, racing on two wheels, and uh, he's still a great guy and still puts up with my uh, inability to uh, to work on my uh, certain parts of my motorcycle sometimes, and uh, he's he's just um, he, he's, he's much obliged to help me out. So uh, shout out to James Crude's at JK Suspension. Good times. Uh, heading into this weekend, this is an exciting weekend for me. Um, we'll so, sort of uh, recap it uh, next week as we uh, roll into our motocross to nations talk. Uh, obviously, we'll probably have one show dedicated to all the teams and our predictions and everything else. Um, maybe have a guy like uh, Tony Blazer or Dave Drake's on to uh, sort of break that down, do some bench racing, but um, uh, just a little bit of insight. Rolling into this weekend, uh, I have the uh, potential, if I, if I have myself a few good motos, uh, to wrap up my first ever championship uh, of any kind uh, in the sport of motocross uh, in the plus 25 B class. Uh, and it's not the, the most prestigious class in the world, but uh, I've had to go to uh, all the races in order to put myself in a position uh, of winning uh, one out of the three rounds so far and uh, been most consistent. So uh, uh, a pair of seconds and a first so far in that class. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to uh, to stay on the podium this weekend and uh, and wrap that up. And uh, honestly, like it's for for me a guy who this year celebrating 20 full years of racing in motocross. Uh, it's pretty cool uh, to have a Manitoba championship uh, under my belt uh, if I'm able to to get that. So hopefully I haven't jinxed myself. I'll be able to uh, race this weekend and uh, and clinch that. But uh, appreciate everybody for uh, for. For getting in touch with me uh, through social media, you can always DM me uh, at Big MX Radio on Instagram or at Brad Gebhardt 88. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Brad GMX 95. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll catch you again. Take care. <laughs>